This year, I want to spend more time with my kids. I want to stop gossiping. Did you see what she was wearing? Yeah. This year, I'm going to join the Parker's game. This year, I'm going to control my shopping. I'm going to stop spending $6 on a cup of coffee. I'm going to control my anger. What are you doing? Can you see I try to work here? I want to find that special girl. How are you doing? Better handyman. This year I'm gonna be my own boss. I'm gonna charge 10% of my gross pay. This year I will pay off all my debts. I'm gonna go back to school and get my masters. I will complete a marathon. I wanna quit smoking. <coughs> this year I'll control my road rage. I wanna have a daily quiet time. Okay, maybe a monthly quiet time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's that time of year, huh? So, uh, how many of you actually made a New Year's resolution? One in the whole group? <laughs> Two? <laughs> okay, how many of you resolved not to make any? Okay, you just made one. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, yeah, it is that time of year when we reflect on the past year and... Um, you know, we think about the year ahead, and uh, I know I certainly do that. And, you know, this cute little video with the kids talked about some of the, the common ones, you know, spending more time with your family and uh, getting in shape or losing weight and getting out of debt and quitting smoking or drinking or whatever it is you feel like you should quit. And, um, you know, this past Thursday, I was reading the paper. I don't know if you saw this article. It was in the Denver Post, and it's called Putting a Price on Resolutions. And they talked about this website that I had to go check out myself. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And it's called stick.com, S-T-I-C-K-K.com. Did anybody read this? It's, um, so this website, you can go on this website and put in your New Year's resolution, your goals, and you have to sign up with your credit card. And when you uh, set your goals and then uh, you have an accountability person called a referee and you have some supporters you can choose, and then when you fail, they charge your credit card. <laughs> so so the, it was designed by a couple of Yale professors and it was done based on some research that said the best way to change your behavior was really only when two things were involved, your money or your reputation. And so they set this website up. So go check it out if you've got something you want to do. And here, I thought this was brilliant. Not only, oh, here, the money actually that you will contribute will go to either a charity or a friend that you designate. However, to really get yourself to change your behavior, they suggest choosing an anti-charity. I'm like, what's an anti-charity? Or a foe instead of a friend. So an anti-charity is one, a charity you hate. Maybe it's the NRA, maybe it's something for, I don't know, whatever it is, what share you hate. Or a foe, a person you dislike, because the psychology is, if you have to pay to someone you don't like, you're not going to want to have that happen, right? So that's brilliant. I thought, what a great idea. Okay, so I thought that was pretty fun. So you can go check it out, stick.com. Stick um, but you know, this year, you know, I have some of my own New Year's resolutions, and they're just kind of the common, boring ones that some that I've just mentioned along those lines. But um, I really do start thinking, you know, I wonder what God's 
New Year's resolutions are. And I wonder if mine are anywhere close to what his resolutions would be uh, for me. And I think, you know, what does God really resolve to do? And, to, you know, to me, the obvious one is he wants to, you know, save people. So, um, you know, I guess he's just resolved to saving people. And, you know, when you really think about that, um, it's, not just, it's not just saving from death. That's typically maybe how we think of it. He's just going to, you know, save us and we're going to go to heaven and one, see him one day. Uh, but really, you know, he's saving every part of us. Every part of our being, our spirit, our mind, our emotions, our will, how we relate to people. And, um, you know, we, may, we maybe don't even realize how much there is to save. And um, it's a process, really, of making a whole new you, a whole new me. And it's an exciting journey. And I don't know if you've really gotten a taste of this kind of journey and what that's like. Um, you know, if you think about the most exciting thing you've ever done, this is more exciting. If you, uh, if you love skiing or snowboarding or something risky, I don't know, or you love roller coasters or whatever, this is more exciting than that. When you really get a taste of what it's like to start becoming the true you, the true, a true heart, a true, the true Barry, the true Kathleen, the true Penny, the true Francis, and you know, uh, shedding the old layers of, of self-protection and becoming the new you, it's a very exciting journey. Um, those, those parts of our being, the spiritual, the emotional, our minds, our will, uh, all of those pieces are connected to each other. They don't just operate by themselves. They all kind of feed each other. And they are also all damaged. And so they're all, they're all in need of restoration. And so the question, you know, how does God make us new? And how does he, as, a, as our church, the sanctuary here, how does he make our community new? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And a couple of weeks ago, I was having um, coffee over at Panera Bread with Duncan Sprague. And a lot of you know Duncan. And he used to be on our board, and he was a house church pastor. But recently, he took a position at another church, basically doing what I'm doing here with Community Life at a little church down in Roxborough. And uh, so we decided we're going to get together once a month and kind of, you know, share ideas and, you know, steal from each other. So this time I stole from him. <laughs> but uh, he showed this little diagram to me, and I was like, oh, I really resonate with that. And, you know, can I steal that? And he's like, sure, you know. So, you know, he stole some of my stuff and Peter's stuff. So, hey, it's all good. And, you know, all truth comes from God. But there's this diagram that I want to show you today that, that it's really, it's meant to be... Um, descriptive, not prescriptive, like describing the process of becoming new, not saying, well, if you do these and check the boxes, then, hey, you're good to go. So it starts with uh, Colossians 1.28. And this is a core verse that really um, kind of speaks to you know, the mission of what we're becoming as well as a church. You know, what, what's happening here at the sanctuary and what, what's the vision for who we're becoming? And uh, Colossians 128 says this, uh, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Uh, says men, but it means women too. And it means we proclaim him, not stick.com, we proclaim him to be the one to make us new. And complete, complete in Christ. Complete means having all the necessary or appropriate parts, like all the parts of who we are, uh, to make whole, to bring to maturity, 
fulfilled, perfect, being complete. Complete in Christ, not what the world has to offer and not even, not what we can do in ourselves. It's not only are we saved by grace, but we grow by grace too. That we can't just pull it off and make it all happen. Uh, it makes me think of that movie, Jerry Maguire, the famous line where um, the, the, I think this is the line that Jesus really longs to hear from us, for us to turn to him and say, you complete me. You complete me, Jesus, and no one else. He wants to bring all the parts to maturity, my mind, my will, my emotions, my spirit. Uh, but it is God who, who causes the growth. Um, and here's the thing I've learned about what the way God seems to work is through community, through relationships. That it's too hard to just go off by yourself and go, okay, you and me, God. That he often uses the relationships in this room or in your circle of friends or family or, or those who have maybe mentored you or helped you grow. He uses all that to help us grow. So, uh, you know, Jesus himself had 12 disciples that he started with right off the bat. He started with community as well. And he was God, so hey. <laughs> um, but where does it really start? So... I think the first start, and this is the diet, these little core concepts is the one that Duncan showed me that day at Panera Bread. So I'm going to put my own meaning, my own spin into it, but um, it's, it, I think it's, you'll resonate with it too. Uh, but the first stage is uh, broken, broken, fertile ground. And this really gets to our emotions. Uh, you know, broken ground is, uh, you know, the stuff that happens in our life that breaks us, breaks our hearts, kind of pounds things up together. Lost jobs, broken relationships, maybe kids that don't make the choices you want them to make, health problems. It's almost like putting a whole bunch of manure on the ground and breaking it up and uh, making it ready. Sometimes our own choices has, have brought broken ground in our own lives. And when that happens, the emotions start to spill out. And God hears the cry of our soul. In Psalm 34, 18, he says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's near the brokenhearted. And so part of me wants to, you know, I've been through a lot of really breaking times in my life. And, you know, probably about three times when I was so depressed that I would say I was suicidal. I just, I didn't want to live. I didn't want to wake up. Didn't, had a hard time crawling out of bed. And I don't really ever say I want to go through those times, but I will tell you, looking back on those times, that God used those times to really prepare my heart to receive what was to come. And I love who I have been becoming as a result of having been through that. I would never have the patience or understanding with other people going through the same thing had I not been through that. Uh, the, our emotions kind of put us in touch with our felt needs. Emotions are the things that tend to get us in motion. You know, when we start feeling things, as long as you're doing okay, you're feeling just fine, you're really not motivated to make a lot of change. But you start feeling pain, you start feeling things kind of breaking apart, you're like, whoa, you know, okay, now I'm motivated. Um, but you know, our emotions really are out of whack. And you know, I used to just kind of think of this as, you know, everybody has different personalities and different makeup and that's just kind of the way it is. But, but really a lot of it is a result of the fall. It's a result of our depravity. It's a result of the way things are really not supposed to be. So I'm gonna give you some examples of 
how our emotions kind of get out of whack. Uh, for some, emotions may be it's just too much. You're so emotional and, and you feel everything and, and overly sensitive that the emotions are such a strong part of who you are that you just get stuck. And it's hard to kind of step back or be objective or make decisions or kind of see things from another perspective because the emotions are just so strong. Um, sometimes the emotions are too little. Too little where you don't really feel much of anything. You're just kind of flatline and even keel, and you don't. You, you may even get praised for that of being, you know, you're steady and you know you're not easily shaken. And and uh, but maybe you don't really feel that passionate about much, or um, it's hard to be compassionate for other people, and you don't quite understand why people struggle, and and it makes it hard for you to connect with people. That one was actually more me, growing up in my family, kind of a stoic German Lutheran background. Um, so for some, emotions are unbalanced, uh, meaning we cut off certain emotions. Like, it's okay to show these emotions, but not anger. Like, you're okay, you know, being, you know, showing tears or, you know, sensitive or things like that, but you've never really let yourself get angry. Uh, because maybe it feels out of control. Like, you get angry, it feels like out of control, or you'll be labeled a jerk or a or a something or, you know, whatever. And uh, so you cut off maybe one emotion. For others, maybe it's you cut off tears. Maybe you can get angry, but you have a hard time showing tears and letting that side of you, you show. Um, sometimes the, the emotions are just too impersonal. Uh, we may feel things, but it, our emotion always takes us away from people and away from God. This too was often me. I think I was probably about 35, maybe, before I really let myself cry in someone, in front of someone. Like, you know, big cry in front of somebody. And, um, you know, up until that time, I, I would cry, but maybe like two in the morning when nobody's around, and, you know, then I get up the next day, and, you know, I'm all good to go, and nobody ever sees it. So um, I, I carried a lot of maybe shame around even having emotions. Like somehow that was bad. And when I look at who Jesus was, he had anger, he had a righteous anger, he had tears, he had compassion, he was able to have joy. Uh, I think there's a lot of humor in scripture that he had a sense of humor and, and uh, showed that. Like he had this perfect emotional makeup. And I'm, what would that be like to have that? To not just be ruled by fear and worry and insecurity and all those things. Um, the other thing I noticed about Jesus' emotions are that they were other-centered. It was for the sake of other people. It wasn't, you know, to get his own needs met because he was complete in himself, but his compassion was for other people. His anger at the Pharisees was really for them, for their benefit, for their, for, um, uh, you know, breaking up some ground in their own heart. Um, and then with Jesus, his emotions were also used to connect, not to disconnect. His emotions were used to connect with people around him or to the Father, that he used that to move, move towards a relationship. Well, when I look at who Jesus is, I find myself, man, I want to be that way. I want to I be emotionally whole. I don't want to be crippled emotionally. I want to I keep growing and developing in that. And I want to share a few ways that I feel like 
community, relationships, people have helped me grow emotionally. And maybe you can resonate with some of these and there may be others that you might think of, uh, but here's some for me. Um, and I've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but just providing a safe place for me to vent, cry, and be loved right in that moment. And you know, it's, it's different even each time you add another factor to the, the, the group, it brings another place for me of kind of vulnerability, but at the same time healing. It's one thing if I cry in front of a good friend and you know they know me and they know the whole story and everything, but then I'm in a group and then there's something different even if I cry in front of a guy and when I'm not used to that, or someone that reminds me of my dad, or someone that, um, you know, you bring in men and women in different ages and different stories, and it's almost like every time you, you, you show that, there's more exposure, and sometimes it feels maybe kind of icky initially, but afterwards there's freedom, there's healing, there's growth, you know, in that community, there's that safe place to be loved when I'm at my worst. Um, another way that community has helped me is just having other people model to me what it looks like to show tears and not be wussy or something, or to what does it look like to have a righteous anger or be angry and not have it go into that category of, you know, I'm going to make you pay or, you know, that real, you know, selfish uh, category of anger. And, you know, what does that look like? So it's helped me, uh, you know, I look at who some of my very best friends are and the guy I married, they're all really emotional people, because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> and so I need that. You know, Christmas, we were opening gifts, and I opened this gift from his daughters, and it was a framed picture of his twins, a couple of framed, beautiful pictures. And, um, and I started getting teary-eyed, and I said to Bill, oh, this makes me cry. And then, I think it was then, he says, well, did you actually have tears rolling down your face, or was it just like water in your <laughs> <laughs> because it's not crying unless you have like tears rolling down your face. And, so, and um, he's the one often coming to me and going, it's okay just to have a good cry. Just let it out. You'll feel better. And he is so good for me in this way. And um, truly, he is one of the most emotionally healthy men I think I've ever met. And, uh, you know, if you're a guy out there and this fits you, it tends to be guys maybe who have a harder time showing tears. Uh, go hang around that guy. And, uh, you know, if you're a girl... We'll stay away from him. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because he's amazing. Um, but there are people in your life that can model to you, you know, what does it look like for, you know, to have that anger? You know, for women, I've found it's harder for women to maybe, like, show the anger side. They're maybe a little better. I just happen to be the opposite. But who can uh, show the tears and have a hard time, like, well, what does it look like to... You know, let myself be angry because sometimes if, if I can only show tears, even when you're anger, angry, you'll show tears and because uh, everything comes out as tears. And if you get stuck in anger, like when you're embarrassed, it comes out like anger. When you're feeling insecure, it comes out like anger. When you're feeling inadequate, it comes out like anger. You know, like we kind of have our like choice, our favorite emotion, and that's like the only one we can do. But Jesus wants to make it whole. He wants a whole picture emotionally. Uh, you know, sometimes when I've gone through those periods of depression, I'm the one stuck. When the emotions are so strong, I'm just like, I can't like crawl out of it. And being in community for me has helped me to um, get grounded, have other people speak truth to me when I can't see out, have other people be faith for me when I just don't have any to work up.
Um, another place that community has helped me is to help, well, I guess trigger me, <laughs> to help like uh, stir up stuff for me that, you know, you get in community and you get in with other people and groups and things and whatnot, and, you know, you're bound to find people that kind of rub you the wrong way or, you know, remind you of someone that you've struggled with, and, and it stirs up things. Sometimes old wounds that have been sitting in there just kind of hidden, uh, waiting for, the, for a safe place to come out to bring healing. And then, and then finally, for me, community has really helped with that emotional side of learning how to extend forgiveness, mercy. A lot of the characteristics of Christ, I mean, they all pretty much have to be played out, played out in a relationship. They're not things you just do all by yourself. And then one of the things I just I love about this emotional category in general is that it tends to lead us into the deeper heart of Christ. If you, um, if you think about just emotional things you go through, like maybe you're a parent and you so long for your young adult child to marry the right person and someone that would be good for them and someone that won't be destructive or take advantage of them and you so long for that, wasn't that what God kind of longs with us? He longs for us to marry the right person, which is him, so that we don't attach ourselves to other things that are destructive for us. So it can lead, anything you might be going through can lead you into something and give you a little mirror of God's heart. Another example is, um, you know, maybe you're single, or maybe you've been to a relationship where you had a big breakup, and it's just painful, painful breakup, and you have so long to give your heart to someone and to commit and invest your life with someone, and they just won't receive it back. They don't trust it, they're not ready for it, they're afraid of commitment, whatever it is. Well, wasn't that God with us? He so longs to have a relationship with us, and we just don't trust him. We don't believe him. We don't take him for his word. So we have a hard time receiving it. Um, if this is an area that you would love to like, work on more or look at more or whatever, um, one, of the, one of the best books I've read on this topic is called Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender. And uh, he's awesome. And there's a few of these copies downstairs at the book table. And if you ever wanted to like, take a look at that, um, I'd highly recommend that book. Um, when our emotions are kind of extreme or seem out of place for the situation, I like to think of it this way. You know when your oil light comes on in your car? What do you do? Keep driving? <laughs> no, you stop and you look under the hood and you see what's wrong, you know, or you go change your oil. Um, but the light is there as an indicator there's something wrong under the hood, right? So the light itself isn't really the problem. There's something under the hood to look at. And when emotion, when you encounter a situation, the emotions just kind of like fly off the handle and it doesn't really, it's way bigger than what the situation calls for. There's probably something under your hood that needs to be taken a look at. And that brings us to um, the next category, which is what we think. And uh, the broken ground prepares for the seed. And the seed is Jesus himself, who is the truth. And a lot of times truth won't even come in until you break stuff up because we're just so set in our own ways of thinking and looking at the world and our perceptions and how all that happens. And um, so we have to like plow up the ground so that the seed can come in of truth and get planted. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
be renewed and transformed in your mind. Okay, so our minds too get out of whack. So I'm gonna show you how. You're gonna feel so bad by the time you get done. <laughs> but you're gonna know you need a savior. <laughs> okay, so our minds are out of whack. Our thinking gets so distorted and twisted. And you know, it's really our thinking that fuels our emotions. And so you can't just like work on emotions all by yourself. You gotta like look at what's under my hood here. And we have distorted thinkings about God, beliefs about God, sometimes I just get stuck believing he's distant or uncaring or absent or whatever. Well, then that affects my emotions. That affects what I do in life. Uh, beliefs about myself. Times when I just uh, feel I'm insecure or don't have much to offer or much to say or, you know, and, you know, that affects my feelings and that affects then the choices I make. Um, you can have beliefs about other people. Like all men are egotistical. If you believe that, how are you going to feel? And what are you going to do? Or you may believe all women are high maintenance. So if you believe that, <laughs> how are you going to feel around women and how are you going to act? It's, it all plays out. You may have beliefs like this. I have to perform to certain standards in order to feel good about myself. Or I have to have the approval of Barry Brown in order to feel good about myself. <laughs> I have to have the approval of certain people that I've targeted. If I don't have that person's approval, then I must be schmuck. Uh, so we get these kind of beliefs in our head that, that are lies, really. And so, so many times, we're, our emotionals are just carrying on with the lies that are going on in our heads. Um, I'm going to share a few more uh, ways that our mind gets distorted too, and this comes more like kind of the counseling world, and I think you'll resonate with some of these too, but uh, one is called polarized thinking, and it's that all or none, black or white thinking. It's things like, uh, you may think things like this, either I have to submit to my husband completely or get a divorce. Either my kid shapes up or I'm kicking him out of the house. Either my boyfriend or girlfriend starts listening to me or it's over. Uh, there's just two options, black or white, it's the only solutions you've got. You have two categories and that's it. And it doesn't leave any room for creative uh, solutions or many shades of gray. Uh, the next one is kind of similar, but overgeneralization. Things that go through your head like this. He never gives me credit for anything. She always puts me down. You've never cared about how I feel. You never listen. This marriage is dead. I'm a failure as a parent. Overgeneralizing. I never do this, by the way. So <laughs> um, we want to avoid that kind of thinking because it's not accurate. It's not a true way to think. Here's another one, tunnel vision. Tunnel vision, like, you know, you zero in on one little aspect without seeing the whole picture of things. I did this Christmas Eve morning. One of my favorite things to eat is chocolate chip oatmeal cookies. And I made like the best batch, except that I'd taken them out and I'd put them in these plastic bags and they ended up like too gooey. And so I was just gonna like crisp them up a little bit and stick them in the oven for a few more minutes. And well, guess what, I forgot. <laughs> Phil goes, what's that smell? <laughs> my cookies got burnt to a crisp and I was so mad, I was so frustrated. And it just like ruined my whole day right up until Christmas Eve services. I walk in, I'm like, okay, time to be, <laughs> time to go to church. But, and uh, Bill loves these cookies too. And um, so anyway, my tunnel vision was like, I was zeroed in on those cookies. 
that like just like spoiled my whole like up until about two o'clock and uh, so that's an example of tunnel vision when you zero in on one thing you may have had a great day a great date with your spouse or whatever one thing goes wrong and you zero on that one thing when it was maybe only about 30 minutes of the whole day or whatever um, okay here's another one negative labeling when you put a label on yourself or somebody else rather than um, just dealing with the situation at hand He's irresponsible. She's lazy. There's, that person is so stupid. It's kind of devilizing a person. And uh, you know, like you've almost got like horns growing on them and cementing something in their character where that's the way you're going to see them all the time. That's the only way I can see them. Uh, another one, personalization. Taking things personally. Like you read the situation, it's always like a message about you. An example of this might be where um, a, a man reacts to his wife in this way. If she comes home from work before he does, then he sees that as her trying to show him up by being more committed to the family and taking care of the kids and the dinner, that she's more committed. But if she comes home from work after he did, then he feels like she's still trying to show him up by staying at work and working harder than he is. Either way, he can't win. <laughs> it's going to be, well, she's doing this to show me up, see? Well, she's doing this to show me up, see? So you, you take your messages around as a message about you. And then finally, this one is uh, mind reading. Uh, my wife should know I want to watch the football game. My husband should know I want to visit my parents. It's assuming, mind reading, you should, you're going, you should be able to read my mind. I shouldn't have to tell you this. You should be able to read my mind. And if I have to tell you, then that's an insult. Anybody relate to any of those? <laughs> I do, like all of them. <laughs> yeah, I saw those hands right there. Um, but we need truth coming in, and we need to be able to have a fair, accurate portrayal of how we see people and situations. And it's like, I want that. And I get tripped up in so many of these things, it's unbelievable. Um, but if we're just left to ourselves, we often don't get it. So where do you have truth coming into your life? You know, it may be through books and uh, videos or programs or whatever, all kinds of things, classes. Um, but where do you receive spiritual truth? Because here's what I've found. Spiritual truth often has this kind of, um, I'm going to turn everything upside down in its head. And it's so opposite what the world might say or do or, or operate. This is what I love about Peter Hyatt's sermons. He like comes in and preaches stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to think about that sentence like for a month. <laughs> and um, he'll just take stuff that, you know, like, like it's so opposite what the mind would think, what the world might say. But when you hear it, something in your spirit knows, oh my gosh, that's it. Have you had that experience like I have here? It's really pretty amazing. Um, so, uh, you know, Jesus ultimately is that seed of truth, whatever form it may come in, because he is truth, and he wants to be planted in your heart. So once the seed is planted, now it can grow. And the next stage is uh, Jesus becoming the vine and the root. So the seed is planted. He is the seed, but he's also the vine. Um, in John fifteen five, it says, Jesus is saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He is the vine and we are the branches. It's like we're, we're this community of you know, branches. The more relationships you have, it's like your branches uh, networking out. And uh, we're all connected to the root and the vine. 
uh, we're really meant to be dependent on something. We're just, I think, created that way. You will be dependent. So if it's not God, if it's not Jesus, it'll be something. Whatever controls you will be your God. Whatever you, uh, you know, worship, worship might be Broncos. I like Broncos too, but, <laughs> but um, it's like we're, there's something in us that's meant to worship, meant to be dependent on something. And if we don't have it there, it shows up somewhere. It's just a matter of what it is. So um, are you connected to the vine, the true vine? Or do you find yourself constantly plugging into somewhere else? So that little girl in the video that says, I'll have a quiet time every day. And then she says, well, maybe once a month. <laughs> I'm like, hey, once a month might be a good start. So, you know, what does your personal time look like with God? Do you have any? You know, is that something that maybe you would be consider for this new year of, you know, what would that look like? And how do you, how do you get time with an invisible God? Uh, you know, do you ever have a time to open up your own Bible and start reading? You know, for some of you, you've been maybe Christians a long time, and you're like, oh, I'm almost bored with it because I've heard so many Bible stories. And, you know, but the thing is, the word is fresh for every situation because uh, you're in a different place. Every time you read it, different life circumstances that will take on to her meeting. And uh, for others of you, you maybe have never cracked a Bible open. You're like, I don't even know what's in there, and it's completely overwhelming. Um, a suggestion might be just start with the book of Matthew and start reading that. Or another kind of fun one to do is the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs and there's 31 days of the month. So you could read one little chapter and there's a lot of just life wisdom in Proverbs and it's a great place to just have some kind of truth coming in. Um, so, let's see here. Um, another part of that is prayer. And prayer, you know, we do prayer here and part of prayer is not only speaking but it's listening. You know, what would God be saying back to you in the moment that you're speaking out to him your prayers. Um, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between like your dad or mom's voice in your head and God's or your husband's or your spouse's or someone else's, but really, what would God be saying to you in that moment? And then uh, another thing that I've found is really important to stay connected to the vine is it has to be like attached. You can't, you can't have a branch just out here wandering by itself. And to me, part of being attached is surrender. It's surrendering your will to his. And, you know, AA gets this. In the 12 steps, if any of you are familiar with the 12 steps or been involved in any kind of 12-step work, uh, step two and three kind of encompass this little piece because it says this. Uh, step two is you come to a believe in a power greater than yourself that could restore you to sanity, a power greater than yourself. And three, you make a decision to turn over your will and your life to the care of God as you understand him or your higher power. But in this case, we're going to say Jesus. Um, that's surrender. Like, God, that's like kind of terrifying when you really think about it. Like, am I going to surrender my will over to his? Uh, but the thing is, he's so good and he knows us better than ourselves. And he so wants, wants our wills to be meshed with his will. Um, when, um, when, our, when our will's kind of off on our own, oftentimes our will is too weak. Our weak will will turn over to addictions, uh, other things that will be controlling us. Um, it may be a codependent relationship. Um, it may be our will is too afraid to like speak up for what's right or what's true. 
um, a lack of self-control for ourselves. Or our will may be too strong. We may be overbearing and overpowering. It's my way or the highway, and I want what I want when I want it, and um, you know, you just better follow along. And it's kind of that pride of, you know, I can do anything if I put my mind to it, and um, you know, my, my mind is, my will is so strong that, you know, you better just like get out of my way. And there's the pride of all that. Uh, so Jesus is the vine, and by surrendering our will, we stay connected to him and in an intimate relationship through communication with him. And we are the branches. It's like, you're, you're all like branches sitting out here. And uh, if you were here at Thanksgiving service, how many of you were here at Thanksgiving? We did this little exercise where I had people fill out a little card, and on the card it had something to be thankful for and something that you were um, uh, going through a trial. And so uh, of the trials that were written, I wanted to kind of give you some feedback of what was on there. I'm not going to read them today, but there were you know, some miscellaneous ones, and there were about there were 166 responses. Seven of those had something of a crisis around loss or death or caring for an aging, aging parent. Fifteen of those were something spiritual, specifically. I wanted some kind of spiritual thing in my life, and I was in crisis about it. Twenty-one of those were some kind of medical or health issue that people were dealing with. Twenty-four of those were some kind of financial or work-related thing. And 58 of them were around some kind of relational problem they were having with someone. Double any other thing listed, people wrote in their trial category, I'm struggling with my relationship with so-and-so or this person or that person or whatever. I thought that was really interesting. And to me it says we really need each other. Um, It's the beginning of the year and we're all probably in that place of examining our time and how we spend it. And so I want you to take a look at this short um, video clip that talks about a little bit. Do you find yourself saying on a regular basis, I'm just so busy, or, or we have so much going on? Why? Why? I mean, if we were to look at your calendar, all the things you're involved with, where you're going, what you're doing, and we were to ask the question, why? Being busy is a drug that a lot of people are addicted to. time saying no or perhaps there's a better question what is it that you have said yes to because you can't say no until you've said yes to something else so what do you say yes to and what do you say no to And, you know, I can't really answer that for you. That's something you need to sort out before God and those important to you. Um, But what I do want to do is be able to go, well, here's some things that are right in front of you here at the sanctuary and things that we want to do if God's leading you to do that. Um, With this month in January, we're wanting to kind of start up some new things as well here with our church. And every week you get the the, uh, S News that has a number of things listed in there that you might go, okay, here's a way that I could pursue uh, spiritual growth and what God may have for me. Um, There's that spirituality group that Kathleen leads. It'll be going on this Wednesday night. 
and it's a chance to just explore honest questions about your faith. Uh, there's a marriage class starting up in a couple weeks. If that's uh, something that triggers, you know, sparks something for you. Uh, there's the Well, which is a group for young moms that starts up this uh, Friday. Uh, if you're a, m- a mom with young uh, kids and you want to join in with other moms and learn from them. Um, a great place to go really deep with people is Men and Women at the Cross. If you want to really dive into emotional, relational, spiritual healing, and I know Barry's been really involved in that and just a wonderful ministry. Uh, but something we're going to just kind of jump into here this spring is to just start some, an open sign-up time for community groups. And in the back of their chair, there is this little flyer. And there's a little card here. And for the next couple weeks, we're just going to have an open sign-up time and some of you, you know, are already in a group or you have a close-knit group of friends. That's cool. Uh, but we, you know, kind of at least want to provide opportunity for those who would really like to. Uh, two kinds of groups. One is a sermon discussion group because Peter gives us so much to chew on. <laughs> and the other is a NUMA video group discussion. And you're going, what's a NUMA video? Well, you just saw one. That was a one-minute clip. Of a, of a larger video series than each of them are about 10 or 15 minutes long and it's great stuff to like get you, you know, chew, churning and want to talk about stuff and they're very in sync with stuff that Peter preaches as well so I think, you know, they'd really enjoy them too. Um, but here's what we're going to say. If this sparks something for you, we would love for you to sign up for a group and if you really want to do it, commit to it. You know, don't sign up and then not do it. You know, if you're going to do it, then go for it. <laughs> And we'll put you on stick.com and, you know, we could actually make a great church fundraising program. <laughs> you know, if you don't go, you pay. Um, so, um, but it's just February to May. A clear ending, a beginning ending. It really only ends up being about eight or nine times. A chance for you to meet new people, but a chance for you to start to, you know, chew on some things to grow on as well. So if you're interested, you could take that with you and think about it or bring it back in the next couple of weeks and, you know, return in today if you want. And it has a place to list the best time and we'd love for you to put like first or second priority on there. And um, the ones that are Sunday after church will probably just do sermon discussions at a restaurant. And we're going to come up with, uh, you know, a little summary and questions for you. So it'll be really easy. You're not going to like stress about, well, what do we do? And in the first time you meet, we'd love for each person to take like, five minutes and tell their story, whatever, whatever level you want to share, five minutes and go, here's, here's the things I want you to know about me in the first five minutes. Um, and so we'll do the best we can to group people and help get started by February. So if you're interested in that, we just simply want to go, hey, we don't want to just talk about, you know, the spiritual growth. We want to allow an opportunity to do it. So um, you can check that out. And really, I'd just say, you know, think about it, pray about it. If it's for you, wonderful. And if it's not, or you have another place for that, that's great too. But here's what I do know. When you start to dive in, and you think you're going to a group for one reason, God often has so many surprises for us. I've seen so many times when people go to a group and it's like, whoa, uh, I just met my future spouse, or I just got connected to my next job, or I just, it's almost like, God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you and to seek him and so many times other things come out. Um, so finally, when, you, when God transform, transforms our mind, our will, and our emotions, there ends up being fruit. And in Galatians 5.22, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there's no law. Fruits to be shared, you know, like a meal, like a banquet. It's meant to be, um, you know, something that we do in community with one another in relationship. Um, 
Fruit can show up in those characteristics in your life, or fruit might show up in discipling one another, in uh, relationships with specific people. Uh, on the back of your S News, there was a list of our seven ministry partners. It may lead you to go, oh, I want to be involved in one of those ministry partners on the back. We'll have some opportunity throughout the year where you could be involved in a ministry and join in with that. And then uh, finally, you know, the arrow goes back at the top and um, it's kind of this cycle that we keep going through. You know, God keeps breaking up the ground and planting more seeds and bringing us into community and producing more and more fruit and it just kind of keeps going around. And, you know, ultimately, through it all, his desire is to have an intimate relationship with you. And out of that relationship, fruit is produced and you are restored, your mind, your will, your emotions. So... You know, does God really want, is his resolution to lose weight and get out of debt, spend time with family? Well, actually, yeah. But here's what he wants. He wants to spend more time with his family and friends, and that's you. And he does want you to lose excess weight. The weight of fear, the weight of guilt, and the weight of worry, the weight of insecurity, he does want you to give up your dependency on other things because he wants it to be on him as the vine. And he certainly does want to pay off all your debts because he has paid off all your debts at the cross. You know, uh, if you do go to stick.com and sign up and they say, well, if you fail, you pay. God has a contract too, and it's right here. And his contract is this. If you fail, I pay. And he has paid it. He's paid it all. So as you come today to communion, I'd love for you to think about the places where you have resolutions, but come to him with some that says, Jesus, I want time with you. I want to spend more time with my family and friends too. And bring your excess weight, the weight of the things growing on in your heart. Bring your dependencies and bring your dependency to him and say, I want to be dependent on you the vine, and I want to, um, I want to be a whole new me, Lord, and so um, I want to receive you and have you make me new. So when you come to the table, um, the black cups are wine and the white cups are juice, and you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and receive him. And the night Jesus was betrayed, he had taken the bread and he said, take heat, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup and he poured it, saying, Drink, this is my blood given to you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. So come to the table and receive him and let him make you new. He is. He is making you new. And you look beautiful. And he wants to make you even more beautiful. And uh, so we encourage you to join in the journey and enjoy the excitement of it. And, you know, I've said a bunch of things here today, and um, here's what I encourage you to do. Listen to whatever the Spirit's saying inside of you. Maybe there's something that was said here today that that little piece kind of caught me. Pay attention to that, because I, the Holy Spirit is really your teacher. Not me, not Peter, not anybody else, but really that little voice inside of you, that's the one I really want you to hear. And... Um, so I want you to enjoy the fact that he's redeeming your mind, your will, your emotions, your entire being. So, happy new you. Hey there. 
I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message, and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the sanctuary downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing and God bless you.